We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We are back for another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. It is a little after 1 o'clock on Thursday, July 21st. Ryan means we're 15 days away from Notre Dame kicking off fall camp in 2022. I am fired up. I know. Look, they've kept us crazy busy this year with recruiting. But, man, I'm, I've been chomping. You know this. I've been chomping at the bit to start doing more team. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk. Well, really, the next month and a half. We're going to have a lot to talk about with the Notre Dame team. And, you know, we've done some shows in the past few weeks, and we've talked about breakout players and freshmen that are going to emerge. I want to go with some older dudes today, Ryan, and, and we're going to focus on the offense on this show, and then we'll talk about the defensive players at some point next week. And the focus is going to be sort of like on that last chance you type of, you know, play on words. And, and what we're looking at is veteran players, you know, juniors and above, that really enter the final season at Notre Dame where this is sort of their last chance. And that could mean a couple different things for a couple guys on the list. We're going to talk about their, this is their la- literally their last chance to make an impact. You know, they're going to play. There's no doubt they're going to play, or there's little doubt they're going to play, but are they just going to be solid players? Do they finally live up to their potential? We'll talk about them. Then there's a couple other guys that are battling for, spots and 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 honestly battling for their futures you know there's a couple veterans that enter the season and how well they perform this year could determine whether they're even invited back next year you know so we'll talk about them and then of course part of that is uh if they don't if they get beat out this year for a number one or number two role depending on the position they're definitely gonna they're gonna have a hard time because the people battling for them are younger guys and you don't often see a veteran get beat out by a younger guy and then come back and beat that guy out later so it's very interesting. So what we're going to do is we're going to name those players. And then with each guy, we're going to talk about what it would mean for Notre Dame if they sort of have the breakout or tap into their potential or, or have success this season. And then what would it mean for them and for Notre Dame if they don't? Mm-hmm. And I think the first guy to talk about is someone we've talked about in a previous show as a potential breakout player, and that is wide receiver Braden Lindsay. I think that's where we're going to start today because when I look at, at – Braden Lindsay's history, and I'm I'm obviously joined today by Ryan Roberts, our director of recruiting at Notre Dame. But one of the many reasons I hired Ryan is because he also knows the team. It's not just a recruiting guy. He knows the team. He knows the draft. He's a very well-rounded guy. And so I uh, want to have you talking team today with us, Ryan. But the thing yeah. about Braden Lindsay that's been interesting is we've seen like three distinctly different versions of Braden Lindsay in his career. Right. We've seen the injured like guy that's injured and banged up and kind of lost a step and wasn't able to get separation when he hasn't been healthy. We've seen a guy last year that was kind of steady but unspectacular. Right. And then we've seen a guy at times who's a really dynamic, big time game changer type of athlete. The question going into his last season is, will we still see all three of those guys? Will we see only two of those guys? Or will we see one of those guys? And honestly, I think the best thing for Notre Dame is that we see two of them. And I'm going to throw this out to you, Ryan. Mm -hmm. I don't want to see the injured guy. 
I do want to see a Braden Lindsay that is steady without the wild ups and downs, which we saw last year. But I want to mix in what we saw last year with some more of what we saw three, you know, when he was a redshirt freshman, which is the home run guy. When I look at him, Ryan, of all the guys in this list, nobody could have a bigger impact on Notre Dame's success this season than Braden Lindsay becoming the player a lot of us have always thought he could be, and that he's flashed at times that he can be. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. No, absolutely. And I would say, first and foremost, I'm excited to talk some team because I texted Brian this morning. I'm like, I had a recruiting dream last night, so I need to talk some team, Paul. It's time for me to uh, – got to step away from recruiting. I'm having dreams about kids making commitments to oh, another man. day. I, I've, ne- I've literally – I barely ever remember my dreams, too, and I just woke up. I'm like, well, that was weird and bizarre. But at, for Braden, for me, Brian, as just a general fan for a second over the last few years, he's been a guy that I've just been anxiously – waiting to be that guy right like we saw glimpses of it like you said 2019 you're seeing him on end arounds reverses kind of using his his speed and his elusiveness and open field and being a home run type of threat and i mm-hmm. i think that that's what you need first and foremost is that implication of his offense because lorenzo styles can make some big plays mm-hmm. michael mayer can make his big plays in his own way and i think that we think also that if a guy like a Deion colsey and tobias merriweather do hit they can make some big plays too, but there's only one player on the on this team right now that I would say is a four four or four four flat or less type of athlete at the wide receiver position. Like mm-hmm. that is Braden Lindsay. He brings a different style to this offense, kind of that yak guy. Want to talk about a lot of RPO action, getting him involved in the run game at times. He can give you so many different layers to this offense that you need. And mm-hmm. the problem is, is that like you said. It hasn't always been consistent. If you could just have the finer points that are a little more consistent, you know, Mm -hmm. just sure hands, don't drop the easy ones. And then you also get the spurts of big plays and end around every couple games that that breaks off for a big one or a long pass that kind of breaks open for a 50 plus yard touchdown from time to time. That is what he can bring to this offense. And that's what they don't really have. Like they don't Mm -hmm. have, a guy that I say is a consistent vertical guy. Like guys can do it in spurts, but not everybody has the home run speed and the playmaking ability that Brayden Lindsay does have when he's on his game. It, it, the interesting thing about last year is 
it, it was interesting because for me, being at games, watching him play Florida State game, for example, there were two plays where it's like he he was open. I mean, he had beat the guy. I mean, you've seen the all 22, Ryan. Yep. He's open by a couple steps. I mean, and if the ball just gets thrown out, but what happens? Jack Cohn's getting hit or he's having to scramble. Or he doesn't have time to throw the deep ball. Yep. And after a while, Jack Cohn just stopped looking for him. I mean, it, there was, a, I think it was Purdue, maybe Toledo. There was a play where Lindsey's opened by like five yards on a post route and Jack Cohn's barely to the top of his drop and he's, he's taken off. It, not because of Jack Cohn, because he wasn't getting time. By the third or fourth game, really by the fourth or fifth game, Jack Cohn just stopped looking at the deep ball, right? And, and unless he just had an ISO, but those were inside posts, right? The post route to Avery Davis, inside post, where that was his number one read. So there were times last year for Braden Lindsay to be that downfield guy, and he just never got the ball. And then eventually teams started coming up and pressing, and that's when he started having problems just like everybody else because he's never been taught how to properly get off the line of scrimmage. We saw that in the bowl game. I mean, first drive of the game, if you go back and watch that, Ryan, we we got some some OSU film on, on the message board today. First drive of the game, I mean, he just runs right by an Oklahoma State corner. I mean, the ball's way underthrown. He has to try. He makes a good attempt for it, can't get it. But he's got that guy beat by a step. If if Jack Cohn just throws the ball that he threw to Kevin Austin against Florida State, that's a touchdown. Yep. And, and so even last year, he was able to get deep. The balls just weren't coming his way. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of us look at last year and, and it's sort of a disappointment for Braden Lindsay. And I'll be honest with you, in some ways it was, but I think for me it was more of a team disappointment. Not so much a Braden Lindsay disappointment because he had a couple drops, but I thought he caught the ball better, but he made some contested catches. The Cincinnati catch for the touchdown was one of those throws. People said, well, I don't know if Braden Lindsay can make that play. Mm-hmm. You know, the effort he showed on a really wildly underthrown ball against Oklahoma State was something I had criticized him for in the past of not making plays on those footballs. I kind of view like there were two issues last year. Number one, he Jack Cohn was not a deep ball thrower because of, I think, a lot, not because of Jack. I think Jack threw a nice deep ball, and you go back and watch his Wisconsin film, he threw some really nice deep balls. It was more of there was no time to throw the deep ball. right? Unless, like I said, it was a one-on-one, a quick inside post or a one-on-one just straight go route. And and it was usually he was throwing that to Kevin Austin is usually and, where that was designed to go. And even those outside verticals, the timing's off a ton because, I mean, we've talked about their mm-hmm. – their trouble working at press coverage, right? Like that, that just completely ruins the timing of a route. Right. And I think that that's another layer, not only to just the, the pass, the pass blocking side of everything. It's also that wide receivers, I don't think did a good enough job from a technical perspective to be able to get into, into those proper positions. Sorry, Ron, I have to comment on us coordinating our shirts today. <laughs> we did no, not I, coordinate I, the shirts today. I thought about it when we popped in, though. I was thinking about getting yeah. a different shirt, but I was it's like, it's such good. a nice shirt. It so. is. It is very comfortable. The, the other part of this, too, Ryan, is so that's where Lindsay's got to do better, right? Like, he was able to just use his speed to get a step, but oftentimes when he would get that step, it was too late in the play. And, and that was another thing that factored into it as well. So their opportunities are going to be there for him this year. I think especially with the way that Mayer stepped up last year, if Lorenzo Styles makes the jump that he made last year, I think there's opportunities for Braden Lindsay to be a guy that can be a 30 to 40 touch guy and be at a thousand yards. I mean, I think that's where he can be now when I'm, I'm talking total, total mm-hmm. offense. I'm not talking just receptions. I'm talking total offense. And so to me, that's where I want, that's where I want him to be at right now. He's got to stay healthy. Now, if you've seen him this summer and, and Vince and I had a chance to see him this summer, he has filled out. He's sure working has. hard. I'm hearing things from coaches about his work ethic and things that we hadn't heard all the time in the past. So I think he wants it. And and I think that Chancey Stuckey is going to at least improve some of the basics, right? And we saw he was a little inconsistent with the spring. There were some snaps you're like, okay, that's what I'm looking for, Braden. And then other snaps are just trying to run by a guy. And, and the good news is for the Notre Dame offense – or the Notre Dame defense is he wasn't running by the Notre Dame corners, which is a good sign because Braden Lindsay runs by a lot of people. But then he made a great contested back shoulder catch in the spring game on a mm-hmm. throw. So I think the tools are there. It's just the consistency aspect. But the, the other big thing for me, Ryan, is the opportunity. And I think that's the biggest, on top of just not having time because of the line to get the ball down the field to him. Yeah. I think another part of it is 
we didn't see enough stuff designed for him to get the ball in other ways. Tunnel screens, look screens, jet sweeps, reverses, things that we have seen from him in the past be successful at. Part of it I understand because you come into last year, he was banged up the whole year before, and he, he was a little banged up to begin the 2019 season. He was banged up almost all of 2020, got hurt in fall camp, came back for South Florida, gets basically hurt again. He's out for the year against Pitt, basically. Or not for the year, but for another month. And he kind of comes back later, and he's just not – he's a shell of himself. And so you've got this guy. You don't know if he can stay healthy. Do you want to game – build your offense around what he does when you don't know if he's going to answer the bell every week? Well, last year, Braden answered the bell every week. And so now I think there's a greater – I hope that there's a greater confidence in the coaching staff to say, hey, look, we've got this weapon. He's a big play guy. He's done it in the past. we got to find ways to get him. And it's 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 – what do we talk about, right? It's like it's the RPOs. Bubble screens, look screens, jet sweeps, reverses, but also some things kind of like what we saw against Stanford, where they use his him to motion and isolate him on routes, where you get him off the press. Or if you remember the touchdown he had early against Stanford, they motioned yeah. him down, which meant the corner backed off, so he wasn't going to press, and then he was able to just smoke the guy on a quick post route. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it be crossers, drags, climbs, all those type of things, I think are other things that you need to do more with Lindsey to get him the football – more consistently in those situations where he can run because that's a big thing. Cause I don't want to throw like it was, he made a great play against Cincinnati on the back shoulder, but that's not where I want to be designing a million throws to Braden Lindsay. It's not, I want to get him in space. That's the big thing for me. Yeah, no, I agree completely. And, and, and I'm Brian at this point, I'm just going to call it cautiously optimistic. I've been optimistic about the Braden Lindsay thing for a while. I would say if you look at just, because we have a small sample size of what Chancey Stuckey has done with wide receivers, obviously. But if you go look back at what Tyquan Thornton did as in 2020, comparative to what he did in 2021, massive improvement. I mean, he went mm-hmm. from like 17 catches to like a thousand yards mm-hmm. just about in, in one offseason, right? RJ Snead was another guy that improved dramatically from 2020 to, 29, uh, to 2021 under coach Stuckey. So even Mm -hmm. though there's not a huge sample size of what coach Stuckey can do as a position coach, we have seen in the one year that he took guys that had a lot of tools, but hadn't gotten to this level, the level that their talent kind of dictates and he, they accomplished it in a very short amount of time. So that's why I'm again, cautiously optimistic because of the things you said, Mm -hmm. we saw Braden Lindsay in the spring. We saw a much more confidence and physically impressive football player than we have ever seen. He was walking around with swagger to him. And it, I know he always had some swagger, but like he had a different type of confidence mm-hmm. to how he was kind of carrying himself during the spring. So you saw that, and then you couple that with the quick turnarounds that we have seen Coach Stuckey do just last season for Baylor. I think it gives you a lot of optimism that mm-hmm. Brayden Lindsey can increase a ton from a technical perspective. Right. And he's able to stay healthy and able to clean up a lot of the technical issues. I mean, the kid has a lot of God-given ability. Sure. There's never been any question about the ability that Braden sure. Lindsay has. Sure. So the impact that Braden Lindsay has, if he's if he becomes the if he does take advantage of opportunity, obviously home run hitter, and and a home run hitter in a lot of different ways. Right? You can't just game plan to stop the goes and the posts. We talked about the other routes, the other op- opportunities. I think it also takes a lot of pressure off Lorenzo Styles, in my opinion. When you can have a guy that can be that field weapon, now all of a sudden, because Lorenzo's a pretty good route runner for his age, and I think he's going to yes. continue to get better as well. And there's a lot of things that I'd like to see Lorenzo be used more on this year now that he's got some experience, you know, some stick routes, some, op- some option routes, some out cuts, some things where you are using him from the slot at times. Because I, I – I don't think Avery Davis is going to be healthy enough to to go back to the volume he had last year, at least not early in the year. So you're going to need Lorenzo to be able to play some in the slot and per, perhaps Braden to play some in the slot. Sure. Depending as long as you use him correctly from the slot. But with Lorenzo in the slot and then Mayer either also inside or in the opposite slot, there's going to be a lot of focus on some of that inside stuff. Mm-hmm. And if Braden Lindsay can become a home run hitter, you almost get to the point where, like, you know, we're okay with Michael Mayer catching a 12 yard end cut against a one on one because we can't afford to let Braden Lindsay go over the top for 70. Well, that, that that's what I was about to add to the conversation is I know we're so we're talking about the impact Lindsay can have, 
the impact is one, he's going to get some one-on-one opportunities because they're going to look at those guys to your point, Lorenzo Styles, they're going to look to Michael Mann. They're going to say, those are the guys that we have to stop. Cause last time mm-hmm. they were on the football field, they were dy- dynamic against Oklahoma State in their own ways. So we're going to stop that. But then to your other point, you pop Brayden Lindsay in the, in the slot now and let Lorenzo Styles play a little bit outside and he's able to kind of push everything vertically and get those safeties kind of moving, get those linebackers dropping a little deeper. Then he bangs a 12 yard in and, and, and mm-hmm. Lorenzo Styles is just wide open because he, right. because Brayden Lindsay's speed is just to such a level that it's going to clear out some action. Right. So the impact is not only with the football in his hands, the impact is also without the football in his hands. Cause you always, whether Brayden Lindsay is being a consistent football player or not, you have to look at that speed and say, that speed is a, is a potential right. problem for us. If we right. let him get wide open, that's a, that's a big play waiting to happen, right? So even just the threat of that speed is huge. And if he's right. making plays also on top of showcasing that right. speed, then you're like, defensively, right. you're like, man, what am I going to do here now? Like, I don't. It helps the run do? game as well. I mean, if you if you can hit a couple jets and a couple reverses, all of a sudden the action off of that matters when he goes in motion it matters more because you have to account for it because he hit a 50-yard touchdown run on a jet sweep early in the year if that is is what happened like we saw in 2019 and when you have a mobile quarterback like Tyler Buckner when you have a a speed back like Chris Tyree or even a hammer like Audrey Estime it like it's more so with Tyree but Mm -hmm. like the the thought of Tyree Styles and Lindsay on the field at the same time starts to get you a little bit fired up because if there's a split second hesitation by that you know field safety because he's worried about okay Lindsay's going in motion that's the difference between you catching Chris Tyree for a 12 yard gain or Chris Tyree going for 60 right and yeah. and we saw that in 2017 a lot with Josh Adams how many times did we see Josh Adams go vertical for a long touchdown because the backside overhang guy that would normally close on that was worried about Brandon Wimbush coming around on a keep yep right i mean that that's what having multiple weapons that that you have to account for does you know we talk a lot about Ohio State because that's Notre Dame's first opponent when people say well how how can these guys keep getting open you know how, how's how why are they not covering Garrett Wilson because if you double Garrett Wilson then Chris Olave and Jackson Smith and Jigber blasting you if you do enough to where you're going to take two of those guys out of the game and all of a sudden it's like well they're, then they're just running it right up your th- down your throat with Travion Henderson or Chris Olave's going off for nine catches right and the more legitimate weapons you have, the 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 harder it is to defend you because every team's going to say we got to take something away. Sure. And Braden Lindsay is rarely going to be the guy that teams early in the year say we're going to take him away. Mm-hmm. If he can change that and force someone to say we're going to take him away, the reality is is to take away the deep threat. That means you need to have more resources further away from the ball, or and that could be. It could be vertically or horizontally, Ryan. It could be further away from the ball outside mm-hmm. for over the top. So it could be, a, you know, you're going to have your safety a little bit deeper. So he's not closing on some of the deep ends and drags like you normally would. Yep. The, all those things help your offense. And so that to me is, is the key. If he doesn't step up, that's the other part. Yep. If Braden doesn't step up, then, you know, you have a solid 30 catch, 350 yard guy like you had last year, but you, you lose a little something because he's not that win at the point of, you know, at the catch point all the time. He's not Chase Claypool and Miles Boykin and those type of guys. You know, he's a different type of player. And in order to, I mean, it's not just, he's got, he's going to play if he's healthy, he's going to play. But if he's just the same guy he was last year from a production standpoint, he's not a big play guy. Let's say he's not getting open or whatever the case may be. He's just kind of out there as just a solid guy and you're not worried about him. You know, you're taking him away with one corner or, you know, you'll let him have a hitch, but you know, you're going to rally to the ball, all those type of things. Your offense loses the chance to have a big weapon because you, he, he can't counter not being a big play guy with contested catches on third and five. That's not his game. Like it would have been maybe the miles Boykin or Javon McKinley. Yeah. So it, it, you lose you, cause like, Notre Dame has a chance to have some really explosive playmakers, but there's not like six of them, you know, and you look at the skill positions is like kind of like three, you know what I mean? Like it's Lorenzo styles, Chris Tyree and Braden Lindsay. As far as what I mean, explosive I mean, Deion Colsey can, could be really good. Michael Mayer can yeah. be really good. But what I'm saying is Michael Mayer is not the guy you're worried about. Okay. This guy might go 80 every snap. We're talking about like the speed guys, the home run hitters. Yep. 
is kind of what we're referring to, where they scare you because of their speed. There's three of them, Lindsey, Tyree, and and uh, Lorenzo Styles. So if Lindsey doesn't get to doesn't utilize that for whatever reason, then you lose that, and you don't have as much of that, and it makes the game easier to defend. So that's the counter to if he doesn't step up. In my mind, I'm just imagining, Brian, a little orbit motion from Brayden Lindsey coming behind, almost like he's going to hit, hit a little swing pass, and then you have a little inside zone action to Chris Tyree. Because if I am that front side linebacker, that overhang defender, what do you do in that situation? Because my mind is going, oh, man, I'm either have Brayden Lindsey or I have Tyler Buckner on a pull. And you have no, but you have no possibility of staying in the box at that point, right? And that's where you get Chris Tyree to your point, getting vertical and going for seventy, right? It's it's just because I always feel like people look at defense sometimes and they go like, why why does the defensive coordinator only have six in the box? And you're just kind of like, mm-hmm. that's not the defensive coordinator's fault. That's just right. a lot of speed going in different ways, right? Like mm-hmm. we have to, because then the the uh, the flip side of it is if I don't get that extra defender in the box, then I have. Tyler Buckner pulling it and mm-hmm. potential of Braden Lindsay also just getting that, that late, you know, throw outs to the flat. And it's just like, how do you defend that? If you don't have mm-hmm. that, that, that overhang defender. Right. So not only does Braden Lindsay put you in quarrel, Tyler Buckner also puts you in quarrel with mm-hmm. those dynamic weapons that you have off of different looks. There's, I mean, literally you're going to have three different options in one play. Right. And it's just like pick your poison at that point. If things are rolling, if Braden Lindsay's a guy, then Tyler Buckner is going to be a more, you know, bigger weapon as a runner as well. Chris Tyree is going to be a bigger weapon as as a runner. There's just going to be so many endless possibilities Mm -hmm. if Brian Lindsay is the guy that we know he can be. It's just about if he puts it all together finally. Right. All right. Let's move on to the next guy. And I think this is another play that fits into a similar category of Brayden Lindsay, where it's not like a – you're not going into the season necessarily concerned with him getting beat out. You know, I mean, it's possible, but that's not necessarily where the discussion is. And that's Josh Lug. And and so obviously Josh Lug moves from right tackle to right guard. He's played all over. He started five games at right tackle in 2019, started at guard and center in 2021, or excuse me, 2020. Was okay at guard, uh, bad at center. He he also had some back problems. He had no business playing center. That that just should not have happened. And then you get out to a situation last year where they move him back out to right tackle. And and Josh Lug had a very interesting season. He was, I would argue, Notre Dame's most steady offensive lineman for most of the year. The problem is when he would make a mistake, and they weren't often. They were big. You know, it was it was it'd be giving up a sack. It'd be a false start on the third and two. You know, and and those are things he has to clear up. But but what got lost is, and, and I I'm not even I hate to go there, but I actually thought Pro Football Focus had a pretty decent grade on him last year amidst a lot of other bad grades. But like they actually had a decent grade on him, and they ranked him as the 15th best returning interior lineman in the country in an article that that they had out that I'm going to post on the the site later today. Jarrett Patterson being number two. I don't know if I'm ready to jump on board with Josh Lug being the 15th best returning interior player in all of college football. That means guard and center. So I mean, think about yeah. that. That means 130 teams, three positions. That's 390 players, right? I hope people don't check my math when we're doing this. That was show. good. No, you you hit, okay. you hit it. You hit it perfectly. Um, That's good math. But and he's he's fifteen of that, out, right? Out of 390. Um, right. Yeah. So if he is that, and this is one of those few times I actually want Pro Football Focus to be correct, you know, it, it has a big impact on this. So I think the biggest thing is is Josh has become kind of become a bit of a whipping boy for some Irish fans and. And there are some that just think he sucked last year. And I'm like, no, I didn't suck last year. It's just most people don't focus on the line. Mm-hmm. They only see linemen when they do dumb things or ridiculous things like Quentin Nelson, right? Yeah. And and most linemen don't do that. Most linemen are like Robert Hainsey that just do their job every snap, right? And so with Josh, people kind of lost the fact that this kid was a pretty steady player for most of the year. Yep. He just had some really ugly, bad plays. Sure. Now you move him into guard. And I, I think it's a it's a more comfortable position for him as far as his style of plays, demeanor, 
when Josh got in trouble last year and he was doing that ridiculous like vertical pass. Now, listen, I have no problem with the vertical pass set. Hmm. I know some really good O-line coaches that use it and teach it. I don't have a preference on the vertical versus 45-degree pass set. I have no opinion on that. I'm, I'm looking at everything else. Do you teach it right? And can your kids execute it? That's how I am. So it wasn't the vertical pass set that I had the problem with. So vertical pass set, so you know, is, is a lot of times an offensive line would come take like a 45 kick slide out. Some coaches teach just a like literally like a vertical backwards, you know, pass set for the most part. Mm-hmm. The way that it was taught last year is it was like he was literally on his heels. I mean, it was just so poorly taught. And then guys would just kind of come off the line and they weren't reaching Josh till he was almost to the quarterback. But then he was on such a, on his heels so much they could just then get in his pads and just drive him right into the quarterback. Yeah, that was a technical problem, not a Josh Lug problem. And the reason I think it was a coaching problem is because they never stopped him from doing it. They just kept having him do it, and and so and it wasn't all that they they would also do a you know a forty five set. I don't know why like what the coverage when they would do that versus the other or I mean you know I, I have no clue what the what the pass scheme or the pass blocking scheme was. But those things kind of got him in trouble. Well, that's not a concern at guard. He's not going to no. be pass setting like that at guard. No. You're going to get to see him play more of the physical brand of football that if you go back and watch film last year, I think he thrived at. And, you know, so if he can be that guy, Ryan, it, it, it all of a sudden you're looking at the right side of your offensive line and you got 6'7, 315 pound Josh Lug, you got 6'6, 330 pound Blake Fisher, and you're thinking, you might be able to do some things in a run game behind those two kids. Yeah. And I mean, to kind of to reemphasize it's a shame because I mean, Josh Slug was a great soldier last year. He's, he should not be an offensive tackle. I mean, that's just point blank to it, right? Like he has sub 32 inch arms. He's not the longest guy in the world. He's tall, but he's not incredibly long. Like his wingspan isn't great. And I think his athleticism is suitable. It's not like a deterrence. It's fine. But at guard, I mean, you go from a, f- a fine athlete to tackle to a good athlete to guard, like instantly, right? Because you're working in closer confines, a lot tighter space. It's more predicated on power, to your point, right? Like, we're not going to see vertical sets from Josh Lug next year. You're going to see a lot of power sets. Like, one step, get into the chest, and the ability to just kind of move your feet at that point, but to maintain that inside leverage. And I think that's going to be a lot better for him. Because one thing I like, Brian, is I think he has pretty strong hands. Like, when he gets inside – and he gets solid positioning. The hand strength mm-hmm. is not a, is not yeah. a deterrence at all. It's just he, you don't want him working in a lot of space. Like that's just all it comes down to, right? right? So, I think that those things do work to his advantage because I think he has strength to him. I think his foot quickness inside is good. So when you kind of piece the little things together, and he has lack of length, he's played a lot of football, man. Like he's a battle tested dude. And one thing that you have the two young guns at tackle, which we're so excited about, right? Like we are. I am just thoroughly just looking forward to seeing what Joe Walt and what Blake Fisher do as sophomores. I think they're just going to flourish, obviously, right? But you also have Jared Patterson, Zeke Corral potentially, and Josh Lug inside. Patterson and and Lug are your leaders, de facto mm-hmm. leaders, because they've played the most football, right? So mm-hmm. and you know, Jared's coming off an injury too. So, like, especially now through this offseason. You need Josh to take that step, not only just from a playing perspective, but a leadership perspective. Mm-hmm. Like that's the old guy in the room, right? Like sixty-year senior, yeah, sixty-year senior, right? Those guys are going to be naturally looking for him. And the, the you saw when Kristoffic took over at guard last year, it was kind of just a little more steady. But you need mm-hmm. a calming presence inside, and I think that mm-hmm. Josh Lug can be that guy because I think his style fits better inside, and he's played a lot of football. So right. I think if we get the best version of Josh Lug. That's big time for the interior of the offensive line. I'd say go back and, and and you look at his season last year, Ryan, to your point. You look early in the year, he really, I thought, struggled in path. He would just have some, like I said, he would play, he'd have like 35 pass sets and he'd have 30 that were just real crisp and clean and effective. And then there'd be like three or four, you're like, what was that? Yeah. But I, I do think he got better as the year went on as well. I mean, you just look at the numbers and again, what have I always say about pro football focus? Terrible grades, terrible rankings, good at data collection. Sure. First five games of the year, he gave up, according to them, he gave up uh, 16 pressures in the first five games. Do you do you have what teams those were, Brian? Yes. First, yeah, State. first fight, Florida State, Toledo, Purdue, Wisconsin, Cincinnati. And for some context there, I mean, he is facing guys like Jermaine Johnson, George Kalafis, sure. and some, sure. some dudes but in the first five. He gave up five, three right? against Toledo. 
right? Sure. sure. <laughs> and 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 he gave up five against Purdue. And if you go watch, Karloftis was doing a lot of his damage on the left side of the Notre Dame offensive line. Josh was getting beat by not just George Karloftis. You look at the last few games, he gave up five total pressures in the last seven games. And it played much better, ran block much better. He was just a he was a more comfortable football player later in the year. Now, like you said, they weren't playing as good of teams. I've admitted sure. that. Sure. But there was also some dudes in there that were decent football players, especially like for USC. And he gave up one pressure against USC. Yep. So this is a kid that I think was a, a solid player that if he can take another step because of the transition to guard, solidifies it. Because when I look at Notre Dame's offensive line, you remember back in the, and this may be before your time, but Back in the day, they had like a strong side and a quick side. You remember when teams would do this in the offensive line and they would switch them. And so like this, the strong side would move to left and right. There was a time I think that Notre Dame did this. And so it'll be like your power side and your quick side, right? Huh. Most, most teams have gone away from that. And they just kind of have like, if they're, if they're, if they, if a line coach believes in that, he's just going to make the right side, his power side and the left side is, you know, is quick side. Sure. And and so you look at this year's potential makeup and of Jarrett Patterson and Joe Walt on the left side, technicians, you know, longer at left tackle, athletic guys, right? And then you look at the right side and it's these big physical, you know, potential mauler types if Josh Josh Luck can become that kind of guy. So that's what I think really helps. And and it's also important too, this can't be dismissed when we're talking about Josh Luck. You know Jarrett Patterson's going to bring a setting presence at left guard if that's what the move ends up being. Yep. If Josh Lug can, first of all, answer the bell every week as the starting right guard and be that presence, those two guys take a ton of pressure off Zeke Carell. 100%. You've got two yep. veterans, potential captain type of guys, whether they're officially captains or just you know unofficial leaders of the team captain type of captain roles. Now all of a sudden Zeke Carell can just go do his job. Sure. And I think that's important. And that's a really important. And, and I think that is something that that Josh stepping up not only impacts the right guard position, but I think it would have a big impact on the center position as well for next season. Well, I was going to say, you can just look back to last season, right? It's like, I mean, Jared Patterson, I'm not trying to take all the blame off of him, right? Because like he had his bad plays, of course, like every other player does. But I really think that early on in the year, Jared Patterson was struggling because the guards around him were not playing good football. I mean, like, let's call it down the stretch when Christophic was playing better football and Kane Madden was playing solid football down the stretch better than he was early in the season. Jared Patterson looked like a lot better player when before, before, you know, kind of the injury started picking up. Right. Mm -hmm. So early on in the year, I think you literally saw exactly what you're talking about. A center is so dependent on players next to him, right? Like, cause you got mm -hmm. two to each side and your guards are your best friends. So when your guards around you aren't playing well, it hinders the impact that you can have. So I agree completely. We've seen Zeke Carell play good, good football at center before. We've seen it. And it's very important now that he's settling back in and gaining that confidence back that maybe was lost a little mm -hmm. bit last year to have two guys that are your seniors, that are your leaders on this offensive line, and to have that consistency around him. So I could not agree more that – it is huge for Zeke Corral and just the center position in general. I'm I'm just going to come out and say this. It's a it's a fact. This isn't an opinion. This is a fact. There was not a great deal of confidence in the coaching that was being received by the linemen last year. That's just a fact. It's no disrespect. It's just the truth. Right? We could argue whether they should or shouldn't have felt that way. It's not the point. There, there wasn't a lot of confidence there. And when you're not confident in what you're being taught, you're not going to play well. It's just sure. a fact especially unless you're like just a, a great player. So for me, Ryan, when, when I look at this, I, I think that's another factor in this conversation for Josh Lug as well, is this is the guy that recruited you to Notre Dame. You mm -hmm. saw what he can do. There's going to be, be a buy-in to this, I think, that's going to impact this as well. Yeah. And I'm, I'm very much looking forward to seeing what that, what that duo can do for Notre Dame. When I think that you've had the buy-in already from him and Jared Patterson, right? Because Jared Patterson could have went to the NFL. He could have. Mm -hmm. He wanted to get coached by Harry Heastan, and he didn't want to end his career the way that it ended, right? And I think this mm – -hmm. and I don't know Josh personally, so this is pure speculation, but you got to think. I mean, so he's coming back for a sixth year, 
And I know the NFL wasn't calling to a high degree, right? Like mm-hmm. he would have gotten a look in the NFL. There's no doubt he will get a look in the NFL mm-hmm. after this season. But I, I mean, I got to think that maybe for a second, you're like, you know, maybe a transfer option might be a good idea because it's on the table now, right? Like it's an easy thing to happen. I'm not saying that ever was something that he seriously considered, but I think Harry Heastan coming back is one of those things where it's like, oh, this is time now, right? Like this mm-hmm. is my moment. The guy that I wanted to play for is now back. And now I can show that the all, all the misconceptions or I don't even want to call it misconceptions, all the opinions that are out there on Josh Lug, he has a chance to prove it wrong. Because the one thing right. I like about Josh Lug is that He's a tough kid, man. Right. You know, he, he's got that brand of football in him. And you just see the demeanor that he plays with. Like, he's a tough football. He's a tough player. He's a tough individual. So I have to think that he wants to also prove a lot of people wrong, if we're being completely honest, for the season. Yep. Let's stay on the offensive line. The next three guys we're going to talk about are in a different type of last chance opportunity. These are guys that aren't – none of these guys are necessarily out of eligibility after the season. And because of COVID, some of them are going to have – still have several years of eligibility. Mm-hmm. These are guys that are more going into the season sort of in position battles, either with guys in their grade or younger. And they're in a situation where if they don't step up this year, not even necessarily starters, but at least step up and say, hey – you know, somebody is in front of me right now, but my I, I'm performing well too. And if my number's called, I'm ready to step in. Sure. And so it's an interesting group. And I want to stay on the offensive line to begin. And that's Andrew Kristoffic. Yep. I think Andrew Kristoffic enters a very interesting season for his career because obviously he stepped into the lineup and really helped solidify things down the stretch. Yes. Again, we've said a million times, we know the competition wasn't as good, but it wouldn't have mattered if they would have played like they did at the beginning of the year. I don't care who they were playing. They're going to get beat. Just go watch the Toledo game. Watch the Florida state game. Uh, So when I, when I look at that, when I look at, uh, excuse me, Andrew, I don't think Andrew played great football last year. I think he played consistent football last year. That was the big thing for him. Now he enters a situation where Zeke Carell just outplayed him in the spring at different positions, but he outplayed him during the spring. Uh, from what I was told by sources, there were times down the stretch where they were actually putting Rocco Spindler in with the first team to give him a look because he was you know, playing well, and, and Andrew just didn't take that next step. I think he enters a, a period now where he's got to take that next step. And one of the things that's intriguing about Andrew Christophic is I would argue – he was one of the more raw offensive linemen to sign with Notre Dame. Him and Tosh Baker, I would say, are probably the two most. You know, Andrew was a basketball player. He he was a guy that was still learning the position of football. They've moved him around from right guard, right tackle to left tackle. You know, then eventually move him into guard. And it was really his first year as a guard. So he steps into a situation where he doesn't necessarily have to start to be a guy that steps up for Notre Dame this year. Now, sure. obviously, if he comes out and has a great fall camp, he could – be in a situation where he he pushes Josh Lugger right guard or potentially pushes Jarrett Patterson back to center if Zeke doesn't build on his strong spring. It like I think they're gonna make this move, but it's a situation where it doesn't mean that okay, Zeke, you're the guy no matter what happens. I mean, if Andrew Kristoffa sure. comes out and outplays him in the fall, like he outplayed Andrew in the spring, that could force him's way into into it as well. Maybe with Josh's history of back issues. They choose to say, "Hey, look, we're gonna we're gonna play a third guard." Well, Andrew has a chance to battle for that. You know, maybe he gets in every third or fourth series to kind of take some of the the snaps burden off of Josh Lug because of his. You know, he's almost six eight, bad you know back issues that that doesn't necessarily go away. Sure. So maybe that's something like that. Or the final scenario is he doesn't really play a lot this year and, and go minutes, but he has a really good year and he shows himself to say, "Hey, look, this kid has can step into the lineup." In normal situations, a senior that has an additional year of eligibility is not going to get brought back for a fifth year to sort of battle a bunch of young guys. You're just going to go with the younger guys because of the way the numbers are. But Andrew's situation is very unique. Mm-hmm. Even though he's a senior now and normally would only have this year plus 23, because of COVID, he still has three seasons of eligibility remaining, inclu- you know, including this year. So if he proves himself to say, you know, Andrew was really good. We just we had guys that were better and we have a really good offensive line. You're there, there's more options to say, hey, we're gonna bring him back because he can still be a two-year starter for us. Sure. Right. And so 
that makes this very interesting. Whereas if he doesn't take that leap and let's say Rocco passes him up and or uh, Billy Shrouth passes him up or at least catches him. Now, Andrew's not even necessarily a guy you want to bring back next year, much less for two years. So yeah. it's it's really imperative that he have a, a good offseason to provide depth, potentially push for a starting job. If somebody goes down, you want him to be able to step in and take over the way he did last year. But he's also, I mean, he's kind of playing for his future as well, Ryan. And for me, the biggest thing with Andrew Kristoffic is if Harry Heastan can kind of light a fire under him a little bit, not that Andrew doesn't try hard, but I, I feel like there's he's the kid of the of the guys that have played him and Tosh Baker are the two guys with the most untapped potential, I would argue, because okay. I feel like Andrew was never taught how to play physical football like he did in high school, right? And in, in high school, he was just kind of getting by. He was the Notre Dame line was taught passivity, in my opinion. You just watch them play; they were taught passivity. I mean, it was like that for. Three of the four years Jeff Quinn was there, the only time it wasn't that way was when Chris Watt was there. Mm-hmm. It's not a coincidence. I mean, you go watch the 2019 O-line and the 2020 O-line, they're literally either taking a step back or just stopping, staying right where they are and catching in the run game last year. It was embarrassing. When they're all doing that snap after snap after snap and it never changes, that's what they're being taught. Agree. That's going to be different this year. And so I, I think Andrew has a chance to really take to that and even if he doesn't step into the lineup to say, hey, I'm a guy that's going to be a force to be reckoned with down the road. If he doesn't take to that, then I think he gets passed up because there's some really talented younger players. I won't say more talented because I think you and I both agree that Andrew Kristoff is a pretty talented kid when he's on his game. Agree. But it's kind of like if I'm going to take a chance on a guy, I'm going to take a chance on the redshirt freshman, not the senior who still hasn't figured it out. So he enters a very, very intriguing period, Ryan. And I know you're very high on him, so I want to kind of hear your thoughts to all all of that. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I, I was very high on Andrew Christophe when he came out of Pine Richland, and I was happy to see that he had gotten a role last year and had played solid football down the stretch because I am a believer in his talents. I mean, there was at one point, Brian, when he was probably a true freshman coming in that I was like, oh, that guy might be the – left tackle down the line like it could be I mean because the kid is six five decent length and he's a good athlete man like there's there's building blocks to work there for Andrew Kostoff and I think you've seen it in flashes just it hasn't been consistent obviously and in this past spring we had some availability to it Zeke Corral forced the hand of Harry Heastand and the rest of the offensive line and said like I need to play right so the more natural thing from a size perspective and from just a natural fit perspective is Zeke Corral is a better fit inside at center. And Jared Patterson has a body type and a style that can play well at guard. So that's the move we're going to make. And it's pretty, pretty odd that Andrew Kristovic is obviously a positioning battle against Josh Lug and Jared Pat. And like, he's obviously going against the guards, but Brian, I mean, his real battle is he needs to look better than Zeke Corral. I mean, that's the most easy trans because, it's possible that maybe he outplays Josh Lug and maybe that's the transition. But the more likely spot is that you're play better than Zeke Carell if you're st- if you're trying to legitimately get a starting spot. You beat out Zeke Carell as the fifth best offensive lineman because you know Jared Patterson is going to play, and Jared Patterson also gives you a lot of flexibility because now you know if he's not a great guard, we can move him into center, right? Like, and he can give that type of flexibility to our offensive line. So it is a make it. Uh, it's not the pure make it or break it year because it's not the last that we could potentially see of Andrew Kristoffic, 
but it could be the last chance that he gets to start. It possibly right. could, or to have right. a legitimate role. Because like you said, if he plays well and it's just like, Andrew, like you're close, man, you're just not quite there. Then we know that Josh Lug's gone next year. We right. know that Jared Patterson's gone. A spot will open back up. But the key is to your point, Billy Shroud's coming, man. Th- those guys are coming. They're, they're good football players that are coming up the pipe right now for Notre Dame. Rocco Spindler, to name, you know, to name just a couple. Hopefully Jody Tonona is able to be a part of the future right. plans. Like there, there's some dudes that are coming, man. So if this is not if you do not have a, a breakout, or I don't want to say breakout, but if you don't have a darn good offseason and then transition that into fall camp and at least solidify your spot as the sixth best offensive lineman or the next guy in from maybe a couple different spots, then you're in a tough spot there, man. Right. Because I'm sure I, I don't know what his, his graduation status will be, but he's a he's a senior in the classroom, right? So mm-hmm. grad transfer routes. Is it something he's content with coming back as a fifth year? Is the team gonna want him back as a fifth year? There's a lot of different variables that need to kind of be figured out. But at, at the at the at the core of this issue, or not issue, at the core of this situation, Andrew Christopher needs to step up and he needs right. to be the type of talent that he is. Because it's also about looking forward to the future future because he does have two years. So then you start thinking about Charles Jagasol, Solomon Absher, guys like that. So I think it is a big year for Andrew Christoffic. And if he steps up, this offensive line is going to have really, really good depth. And here's the other thing. It's not outside the realm of possibility that if Andrew Christoffic is clearly your sixth best offensive lineman, that if a tackle goes down, you don't bump him out to tackle. You know, maybe if like Joe Walt goes down, you bump Blake Fisher to left and you put him at right. If if Blake goes down, you may just move jo- Andrew Christoffic out to tackle at right tackle yep. because he's played there before. So yep. that's the other thing, too, is I think his and, and he's played center. So he has a lot of positional flexibility. I mean, and maybe center's a position where he's more comfortable at. So could be. Could he, be. He, 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 the point is he needs to, to play well enough to where Harry Heastan says, I got to figure out a way to get this guy on the field somehow. Yeah. And, and, and that's the key say, for him. I'll <laughs> say this, Brian. It, the struggles that Notre Dame's offensive line had last year, it can be a blessing in disguise if guys step up. Because one thing that they could have is if the offensive line solidifies the way it's looking like right now, if Andrew Kristoffic is still playing good football and Michael Carmody is still playing good football, then you have now created depth for your offensive line and guys mm-hmm. that have played multiple positions in the past. And that could be huge for this offensive line moving mm-hmm. forward. It's insurance, if anything. So, Ryan, let's move on. couple skill guys, kind of. Another wide receiver I want to talk about, and that's Joe Wilkins Jr., he is in a similar situation to 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 Andrew Christoffic, except he is in the fifth year version. We've talked a lot about Notre Dame's lack of depth of receiver, and we say there's four scholarship receivers planning to come back in 2022, 2023. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. And that's Lorenzo Styles, Deion Colsey, Jane Thomas, and then Tobias Merriweather. Well, technically, Braden Lindsay and Joe Wilkins both have additional years of eligibility remaining. Yep. I, I don't see a scenario in which Braden comes back, especially if he does what we think he can do. Joe Wilkins enters a very interesting period as well because he could be a guy that you say, hey, look, if you don't get like a fourth receiver or a fifth receiver in his class and you feel you need another receiver, do you hit the transfer portal for a guy for a year or do you bring Joe Wilkins back for a sixth year if he's willing to do it? Well, that only happens if Joe does two things. Number one, stay healthy. It's been an issue for him in his career. Number two, yes, are being able to make some plays. Now, I think that what we both would agree on that Joe brings to the table is maturity and leadership. I think Joe's a hard worker. I've never heard anything bad about him as a kid. I've only heard glowing things about him as a young man. I think he could bring a lot of leadership to the table. But he's got to step up and show that, hey, I can play. Now, I don't expect him to be healthy at the beginning of the year. I don't think he'll be on, I don't think he'll be in the rotation early. But whenever he comes back. He's got to show that, hey, I can play here because, number one, the hope is is that Joe can return sometime during the second half of the season. I'm just throwing, you know, a hopeful situation. Maybe it's earlier, but he doesn't get into the rotation till midway because he's got to get himself back into shape, right? Because he's in a unique situation. He hurt, he hurt himself in the fall, came back, mm-hmm. right? I think he got hurt against Cincinnati, right? Came back. Starts to get into shape and then gets hurt again in spring practice. And he was so, playing pretty. He was playing pretty well in the spring practice we were at before he got hurt, unfortunately. Right. So it's yeah, yeah. And so he's got to step up and play, Ryan, because 
if he can be a factor, even if number one, what does Joe Wilkins do for you if he if he steps up? A, a, a group that's going to be light on depth gets a player back second half of the year that can take some of the pressure off of from a snap standpoint. That's a yep. big plus. But you want to have someone that can come in and yeah take pressure off snaps wise. But if that guy can't make plays, it makes you easier to defend. Sure. And so he's got to step up and show that he can make plays and be a guy that can do more than just block and take some snaps off. Now he, he did a little bit last year, you know, had a great catch for a touchdown against Florida State. But I think Joe struggled with the same thing that a lot of these other kids struggle with. He didn't know how to play. And and you watch the games against some of the bigger, more physical corners. He didn't know how to get off the line. He doesn't know how to execute certain aspects of his of his route package. And so he's another guy that I think needed the a better coaching, and he's going to get it. Yeah. But how much of it will he get if he's not out there? That's a big question mark. So I think I think Joe stepping up could impact, honestly, the next two receiver depth charts or not to where now you're forced to go get another freshman or a grad transfer or some other type of transfer because you can't justify bringing Joe back if he can't, A, can't stay healthy, and B, can't make plays. You're, you're going to have to try to find someone that can help you. So I think it's a big year for Joe Wilkins in a lot of different ways. And it may not be like the first guy on people's minds when they think of of guys who really enter in this conversation. But I think Joe needs to very much be in this conversation because he could he could end up being a guy that could be a big help to Notre Dame, not as a, a go-to guy, but in a way where he provides a lot of important attributes to your rotation. I mean, because you know that you're going to have Avery Davis at some point. But like you said, is he going to start the year kind of still banged up? There's a question mark to there. Otherwise, besides for Braden, obviously, and Avery, Brian, you're you're depending on a lot of younger guys, right? Like you're depending on guys like Lorenzo Styles and Deion Colsey and Tobias Merriweather, potentially, and Jaden Thomas. All sophomores are younger, right? So if you get to a point where it's the young guys that are kind of making up the majority of the plays – you still need a calming presence in that room, right? Like a guy that you know that, because, I mean, Lorenzo Styles feels like he's been here forever, even though he's only going to be a sophomore in college, right? Like, but he still needs mentorship. He still needs a guy to kind of lead and to show him how to go about his business. I think we all feel good about Joe Wilkins in that role, right? Like at worst, he's a calming presence and he's a guy that is going to exude work ethic and give them good habits as far as how you work at the craft, right? So, I think that is vital for this team is the fact that it's a calming presence. And Joe is one of those guys, and we've talked about this a little bit before, Joe can play a little bit of everywhere, right? Like you don't have to just pencil him in as a W or to the field or in the slot or whatever. Joe Wilkins can play a little bit all over the place, which I think is also big for you because it gives you some alignment versatility. Mm -hmm. It's not Joe's just a W. Joe is just in the slot. Joe is just here. If he's playing good football and he's healthy, he can line up a couple different spots, which gives you other possibilities with Lorenzo Styles and Deion Colsey and Tobias Merriweather and different alignment possibilities in different packages, right? So I think that that's a big thing for Joe's impact on the game. And like you said, if Joe wants to have another opportunity potentially after the 2022 season, he's got to play good football. Because if he's right. just injured or just not effective, roster spots are tight right now as we're talking and we're, we know for a fact that Notre Dame is going to bring in three wide receivers in next year's class at mo at worst in 2023, maybe four. So he's another guy where it's just like these younger guys are going to start to kind of gain more steam if you're not mm-hmm. if you're not a legitimate, consistent member of this passing game. So I think from a leadership perspective, from a depth perspective, and from a perspective that does he want to play more football, it's a, right. absolutely a make it or break it year. There's no doubt right. about it for Joe Wilkins. We're going to the fifth guy, and this one's going to be very interesting because this is an underclass. Well, under not underclassman. He's a he's an upperclassman, but he's the youngest guy in this group, and that's Kevin Bauman, a tight end. His scenario is completely different because he's just a junior. Now, a lot of juniors at Notre Dame are on pace to graduate after three years. Okay, so that's that's part of it. But he's in a situation now where he's been banged up a lot during his career. He enters this season with a golden opportunity to step into the rotation. I mean, a golden opportunity, not just George Takish transfers. And, and, and I'm not saying this is a positive, like, oh, good for him that Mitchell Evans got hurt. But the reality is, is as much as it's things that Mitchell got hurt, it does create an open opportunity. And we need to be able to say that without it coming across like, 
you know, like we're glad that Mitchell got hurt. We're not, but somebody's got to step in. They're not going to like go out there with like a 10 person and like in memory of Mitchell Evans is, you know, pinky toe. Right. I mean, somebody's got to step into the role. And so with Mitchell out, Kevin Bauman steps into it where Kane Barong is coming back from an injury. Eli Raritan's coming back from an injury, but they're going to be coming back hungry and they're talented guys. Sure. If Kevin Bauman can't step into the lineup now, it's never going to happen. You're not going to get beat out by a younger Kane Barong and a younger Eli Raritan or a younger Holden Stace. And then all of a sudden next year, you're going to go out and beat those guys out. He, yeah. Notre Dame's going to play 12 personnel. There's no doubt about it. No doubt about it. The question is, is can he become, can Kevin Bauman be one of those guys? That's the question. Because if he does, he gives you a bigger bodied guy and a veteran presence and those type of things. But if he doesn't, it's almost kind of like it's time to, you know, it's almost like it's kind of like, hey, man, you know, we appreciate you, but, you know, you've been passed up by younger guys. And, you know, that's just kind of the reality. So he enters a very important period to where, He's either going to step in and be the four-star type of guy he was, or he's going to find himself passed up and basically never really be that guy at Notre Dame. To reiterate it again, injuries stink no matter what it Mm -hmm. is, right? It is semi-ironic, though, that what's held Kevin Bauman back during the majority of his career is injuries, and he might have this big opportunity because injuries around him. You mentioned Mitchell. You mentioned Eli coming back. You mentioned Kane Baron coming back from injury. This is going to give Kevin Bauman a big opportunity. And, I mean, I think people forget about Kevin because, obviously, he's in the same recruiting class as Michael Mayer, who is a, a star and potentially the best tight end in college football. But Kevin Bauman was a really high recruit in his own right, right? Like, he was a two hundred uh, top 200 type of kid by a couple of different platforms coming out. I remember him coming out of New Jersey, and, I mean, the kid was a stud, right? So there's obvious talent there. This is just a situation where – Notre Dame is always going to recruit tight ends at a very high level. You mentioned Eli Raritan, the greatest athlete that has ever lived at the tight end position, is going to be in here soon, Brian. Eventually, he's going to be healthy. And I know you're reading, so you're, you're, you're trying not no, I to heard pay you. attention to what I, I said. I heard okay, you. Cool. I'm just trying not to respond to it. Most explosive what? player in the history of tight end play. Best tight end that's oh, ever lived. Eli pe- people need to. We need to explain what we mean by that to some the people that are on the board. Somebody uh, put on the board that uh, that it was reported by another outlet somewhere that that Eli Raritan ran like this absurd ten yard split time, which like if one, one four eight six or something, or something like yeah. yeah yeah where if yeah. if if he had that time at the combine last year he would have been the fourth fastest player at the combine, not fourth fastest tight end, fourth fastest player, I, <laughs> I significant I mean like Kyle Pitts I think was like one four at nine. Most tight ends are like in the fives. There's guys in the one sixes. And this was like three months after, you know, like ACL surgery. Like, come on, you know. So, and and last year's combine was like a freaky year for testing. Yes. Yes. And I think it would have been fourth or fifth of all of them. There was like no safeties better, no linebackers, like two corners. It was like two corners and a receiver. You know, it was like it. And like the receiver was like this, that little, remember that little five nine guy that ran like an insane 40 time? Like he he was one of those guys too. I think he was like Calvin was like, Austin. Yeah, Calvin it might have been him. Probably. But yeah. uh, you know, it just was one of those things where it's like, okay. But the the point is, we're just having some fun. We actually yes. are very high on Eli Raritan. Oh, think I, he's a great oh. player. So when we say that, we're being sarcastic, but there's a backstory to it, sure. uh, and we're just having some fun with it. And, and sorry, Ryan sorry. likes Ryan likes to tweak me with it. You know, during the show, him and Sean like to tweak me and get me fired up. So I I'm kind sorry. of dig it because I like being fired up. It's fine. I had to bring it up because I, I like that you that you kind of added to that though, Brian, is the fact that I think Eli Raritan is going to be a stud. Like mm-hmm. I am not throwing shit at Eli Raritan. Right. He's a really he's going to be a really good football player. But the point I was making is that you have some really talented dudes: Holden Stays, Eli Raritan, Kane Barong. We've mentioned you have some dudes that are going to be back at some point, right? And Kevin Bauman has a chance to cement himself as the second tight end behind Michael Mayer. It's very possible, but he's one has to stay healthy because that's Mm -hmm. been the big, you know, that's been the big hindrance to him as a football player so far. And two, he's got to beat out some dudes at tight ends. Like he's going to have to, because those guys are going to be back at some point. So it's a big year for Kevin Bauman. I think he has all the talent to be that second tight end. It's just, is it going to happen? And if it's going right. to happen, 
It's got to happen now. Has to. Right. So, Ryan, I, I want to answer a question here that somebody threw out because I think somebody misunderstood what we said. Antoine Porsche Rodeau says Notre Dame doesn't have four scholarship wide receivers. They have seven. We said they will only bring back four next year from the current roster. Yes. That's what we're referring to. So when you look at projecting to the 2023 roster, there's only four guys that are scheduled to come back for that next year. So that that's what we're referring to. And that's where, you know, a Braden Lindsay or potentially a Joe Wilkins Jr. could have an impact. Thank you. And that's what we're referring to. So uh, just so we're clear, we're talking about who's scheduled to come back next year. Returning players. They're going to have more than four guys on scholarship next year because they're going to have the freshmen. We're talking about returning players on scholarship. So you don't have to count on freshmen to have to go out there and be that guy. That's what we're referring to in this instance. So, Ryan, that kind of is going to wrap up our – break our show on kind of that last chance you type of thing. We're going to get to the defense next week because that's going to be a lot more interesting conversation. And there's a lot more, there's a lot more about the position battles involved next week. We're like, this one didn't necessarily have a ton about position battles. I mean, Joe Wilkins isn't necessarily in a position battle. He's not even healthy right now. Bellman's in a position battle for like the number two job. Next week, next week, when we talk about the defense, it's going to get really interesting because there's going to be a lot more, of this guy's battling for a starting job, but now he may not even play. You know what I mean? Uh, and it's going to be a lot more of an interesting conversation for that next week. So definitely stay locked into that. And uh, you, you, we're gonna we're gonna have some fun. We're gonna have some fun with that. There's there's no question about it because the defensive conversation is going to be very interesting. We're gonna go to the mailbag next, but before we do. Hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, hit the notification bell, share this podcast, leave us a five-star review. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.